0: Hello, welcome to Bible Marathon, and it's dinner time. The Word of God, we believe, is the best sustenance for the Spirit, which is why we are taking our time to study and dine on the Word of God. So, join us at the table for Word Dinner. So, I want to start with a very good recap what we've learned so far in the book of Galatians. Galatians was written by Paul, right, and... With the intent of reaching, um, the, the churches in Galatia to correct them, um, you know, on wrong doctrines that had slipped into the church. And one of the core things was the debate between grace <clears throat> and faith or the law and works. And so Paul came with a vengeance saying, Hey, Anyone who is teaching rubbish needs to be treated like rubbish. Um, and everyone who has received the, the gospel of Jesus Christ by faith, you belong to the family of God by faith. Paul admonishes you to follow by faith, not to go by the law, not to walk according to the precepts of the law for salvation, but to see the purpose of the law for what it really was. And uh, we're going to talk more about that today because that is very, very important. All right. So let's now move further. Let's see where we were. We were in Galatians chapter 3. And in Galatians chapter 3, I established some things last week, right? So I just want to kind of recap on those things because it may be very easy to miss this. And um, moving forward, as we grow in this Bible study... I want us, I want, I'm going to find a time to train us on actual Bible study um, skills that are relevant to ensure that you're able to um, study effectively. How can you read a text and know, let me stop this sound because it's always, yeah, okay. Um, sometimes you may read something and not really get what it's saying. Um, And then you read it again, and you're like, oh, I didn't see that before. And then you read it again, and then you see even more. But one way to fast track that process is to be very intentional about your study. In other words, have questions that you are getting answers to. And so the way I teach, right, the way I teach here is in such a way that when you go back to study, the questions that you are anticipating, I've tried my possible best to answer them. That's why it's a lot easier when you read it again. That's the the point or the, um, the blessing of a Bible teacher, right? Anyone who teaches the word is supposed to give you tools to be able to correctly interpret the scriptures. And so that's what we've been doing. For example, you remember when we went to Galatians chapter 3 from verse 16, and we had the conversation around you know, the fact that the Bible doesn't say to Abraham and his seeds, but it says to Abraham and his seed. And I remember explaining why that is important. If it was to his seeds, then we would say, oh, okay, the plan of God to just bless the nation of Israel. So Abraham and his children. But it says to his seed, meaning one. One. And, he, and then Paul helps us know who that one is, which is Christ. Why is it important that it is Christ that is referenced here? Because the promise of God to Abraham was that in him will all the nations of the earth be blessed. Which means not just the Jews, biological Israelites, but the Gentiles as well. So the Gentiles have access to the same thing that Abraham had by faith. And so it has to be through one man who breaks the dividing wall? And who is that one man that breaks the dividing wall between the Jew and the Gentile? It's Jesus Christ, right? I hope that's obvious. The Jews had the law. Jesus comes, obeys the law perfectly, but opens the door to the Gentiles as well. In other words, he's opening the door to the world. And I've taught this before. In If you're trying to categorize you know, people in redemptive history the best way to categorize them would be in three categories. So, the Jews, the Gentiles, and the Christians. I'm talking about categorization according to redemptive history. Alright, I hope you're still with me. The Jews are the chosen people of God. They are so special because God has given them a lot of things. So, if you have your Bibles, go with me. I want to just show you this before we proceed. Romans... Uh, chapter 9 from verse 1 we're talking a little bit about you know why let me share my hello sorry I I think someone muted me let me share my screen alright can you still see me and my screen yes no Okay. good good Thank you. Alright, so look at this. This is Paul's agony in Romans 9. You remember, we read Romans 9. And you you know this is the beautiful thing. Scriptures are connected, they're so beautifully connected. We just finished Romans. We're in Galatians now, we're going back to Romans to confirm something. So, what makes the Jews special? That's what we'll, that's the question we're trying to answer if you're taking any notes. The Jews are special because number one, look at this text: Romans 9:1. I tell the truth in Christ, I'm not lying my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and continual grief for, in my heart. For who? Who is, who is making Paul so upset and so sad and so sorrowful? He says, for I wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren. When he says brethren, who is he talking about? Fellow Jews, right? Because Paul himself was a Jew. So, I wish I was accursed from Christ for the sake of my brethren, whom I love. He said, my countrymen according to the flesh. Now, let's look at why they are special. Like, why Israel? What is so special about Israel? Paul starts to list some things. He says, who are Israelites? To whom pertain the adoption? This is a heavy statement. He's saying these are the people who the adoption pertains to. In other words, these are the people that are supposed to be the children of God. The plan of God was to have these ones as his own children. They, they, they straight away, God bought them back. They are now his children. They've been adopted back. So Jews were the original, or should I say the prime receptors or receivers of this adoption, right? Then what else do they have? It says the glory. What is he talking about? It could mean many things, but... Think about the fact that the Israelites saw the power of God in display. Which other nation in the entire world saw the Red Sea parting? Fire, pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, manna from heaven, quail falling down from heaven. Um, You know, Jordan, when when, um, um, Joshua was taking over, you know, Jordan also drying up. Like, just think about all the things. Water from a rock. Like, I I mean, this is almost fiction. If you don't believe the Bible, it sounds like fiction and story and fairy tale. But they were the ones who experienced this thing called the glory. The tangible, visible presence of the acts of God. And then it says the covenants. Who can tell me what we mean by the covenants? Like, who was God making agreements with in the Bible? Jews. Jews right? He will say, Abraham, I have said this, he will give a covenant. He will give covenant to Isaac. He will give covenant to Jacob, to his children, right? And you just see that keep going on. The Davidic covenant too. There's a covenant there, you know, in that same lineage. So that he's talking about that. Then he says, the giving of the law. This is so crucial. This is where we are going with this. The Israelites were the ones who received the law. No other nation on the earth received the law of God. It was to them that the law was given. And remember how they got the law. First of all, Moses goes up, receives it from the Mount, Mount Sinai, which is the holy mount, Right? comes down with these commandments for the people. So the giving of the law, the service of God, who can tell me what he means by the service of God? If you get this one, I'll be so happy. I mean, I'll be really impressed. If you've been reading the Old Testament, you should know what this is. Everybody's muted. Oh. Very good. Clap for, clap for yourself. Clap for yourself. Do Milo even. clap. You know Milo clap. Milo. <claps> Milo. Yes, okay. We have to form clap for BMG too. That would be very cool. BMG. Back, back, back. Okay. All right. So that's a good one. So when you say service, we're talking of worship, all right? When you hear the word service, worship is a synonym. So you're talking about bringing rams, bulls, goats, like offering them as sacrifices to God. And it was the priesthood that handled that. What else? It says the promises. Ah, which is what we're talking about in Galatians, right? The law was given to them, but also the promises. And why were they giving promises? God had a plan. What he wanted to do, and just to keep his promises firm, we we'll later learn in Hebrews that he swore an oath like that's how deep rooted God's like promise is to fulfill. So, this is what the Jews had. Guess what the Gentiles had? Zero. <laughs> that's why when you read the Bible, it's almost like, Is God on a vendetta against the world? Like, what's going on? Because the people that we see in the story are just the jews like you know david beats goliath samson even though he's immoral he's destroying philistines like you just you're just like what's going on they're wiping out nations and you're like why is israel so special well that's the whole idea of the covenant god agreeing with one man who obeys him and because of that obedience everybody else enjoys it like the power of covenant is so it's something that should be studied you know god agrees with you and says see, i swear. That's literally how God is doing it, just that it doesn't do like that. But, like, I swear, I will never let the world be flooded with water again. That's what he told Noah, right? And that's never happened since he said it, you know. The promise of redemption to to, to Abraham, he said, in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Guess what? It's happening today. It's being fulfilled today. How are all the nations blessed? Well, Jews and Gentiles, what's the blessing? We've talked about it they're made righteous by faith. They don't have to work. It's just beautiful, right? So let's come back to Galatians and see, um, you know, just what we were building up. It says, um, and to seed as many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. And I was explaining that Christ is the seed. I don't think I finished my argument. Jews, very special. Gentiles, zero, right? It's almost like who are they in fact? Let me show you this Bible study, right? I want to show you the the um the language some of the apostles used. You should feel bad <laughs> when you read this as a gentile, but you just thank God like God, you're amazing. Thank you very much. So read. Um, I also want someone to read this verse for me. First Peter 2:9. <coughs> But you, are chosen but
1: you are a chosen generation, royal priesthood, a holy nation, his special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness okay, question, into his marvelous who is he talking light.
0: about? Who is the chosen generation? <laughs> you, okay, the Jews? You, th- you think so? How do you get, how do you know, how do you know who's talking about? What's the best way to check? Verse 8. So, what, do you, what do you do to know who the audience of the letter is? Good. So let's go there. Peter, verse 1 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the what? Pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontius Galatia. You're hearing. So Galatia is Galatians that Paul writes to. So that should be some. As a Bible student, you're like, hmm, Galicia. You write it down because something important is coming. Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Who are all these people? Gener- generally, what, are they Jews, Gentiles? Gentiles? What's 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 their category? Are they Gentiles? Because
1: of Asia, Are they Gentiles? Because of Asia, actually, Asia is
0: mentioned. All right, this that's one clue, and then he goes on to say um and notice this to the dispersion so very likely there are also people who are jews and going to those places right but primarily the nations is mentioned in here are outside out um outside of the <coughs> sorry outside of the jewish um yes. what, what's it called
2: if yeah. like if you read like Mm -hmm. new version niv they usually have like an intro so they talk about how peter was addressing gentiles
0: and that's that's another helpful tool so because you know he's addressing gentiles it now makes sense when it comes to um first peter chapter two and verse nine and says but you are a chosen generation now what will interest you is if you have a bible do you have who has a bible that has a um the 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 um, the what's it called margin and tells you where this was also quoted in the old testament who can't find it I think it's in deuteronomy where they had this as well if anyone can find it quickly, I can check it now I just don't want to go off my notes but first peter two nine yeah deuteronomy ten fifteen no. Is it? Is
1: it Exodus, is it Exodus 19? I'm okay, I'm seeing okay. Go, to, go to
0: Deuteronomy seeing 7 6. But how, how are you people checking? I don't want to lose anyone in this Bible study. So if you're wondering how we finding this, if you have a Bible with a margin, you will see like all the small letters A, B, all those things next to the um to the verse and then you can trace that letter to the footnotes to find where it was ref- where it was referenced um, or you can use the internet so deuteronomy 7 6 right look at this look at this language this is deuteronomy who is who is being spoken to here jews it says for you are a holy people to the lord your god similar language God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. Talking about the Jews, right? So they're very special. So sorry. Um look at Deuteronomy 14:2. Deuteronomy 14:2. Similar, right? For you are a holy people to the lord your god and the lord has chosen you to be a people for him a special treasure above all the peoples who are on the face of the earth another one is the one that i think looks more, most like most like the the text that is right here um let's see royal royal priest yes go to exodus 19 please are you finding all these things i'm saying Oh yeah, just like what I what is Pastor Ness doing? I'm what I'm doing right now is I'm using my. This is this is not in my notes. So I'm on my Bible, right? Let me see if this will show. I'm on my Bible, right? And I am checking the cross references. That's what you are seeing on the screen. So I just pulled up Exodus to verify that it is what I'm looking for. Exodus nineteen five to six. I want you to compare Exodus nineteen five to six with First Peter two nine, And you see how, how it looks like it was just... um You know, if this thing was put into a plagiarism check, it would be almost like 80%, 90%. So if you look at it, it says, Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandments, then you shall be what? A special treasure. Let me use KJV because that's how you get it better. It says, You will be... A peculiar treasure. So what does First Peter two nine say? A peculiar people, right? Where is everybody? Oh I used to in this class. Okay. So Exodus 19 5. It says, A peculiar people unto me above all people, for the earth is mine. Next verse. He says, And ye shall be unto me a what? A kingdom of priests. What is in First Peter two nine that matches a kingdom of priests? Exactly. Royal priesthood. Royal what priesthood. is royal? King, kingship, or kingdom, priesthood. So kingdom of priests. Then it says, an holy nation. Exactly the same thing here. But what's the difference? Here it starts with if you obey my voice and you keep my commandments, right? You keep my covenant. But in First Peter 2:9, the blessing that these people would have got by obeying the commandment. He just says to the Gentiles in First Peter 2.9, you are a chosen generation. <laughs> so they didn't have to do anything. They didn't have to work and obey the covenant or the commandments and keep them like the Jews had to. These ones are just receiving it because of what? Because they are in Christ. So he says, you chosen generation, real priesthood, holy nation, peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him, who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And the people called out of darkness into his marvelous light, primarily are those who did not even know God to begin with, which is what leads to the next verse. It says, which in times past were not a people. So that's how you also know it's not Jews he's talking to. Because he had already already said in, 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 in Exodus 19, you are a special people above all the earth, like I've chosen you. But now he's saying you were not a people at all. That's Gentiles. You didn't exist in God's agenda or in God's mind. You just it seemed like you were not existent. It says, but now you are the people of God. You had not obtained mercy, but now you have mm-hmm. obtained mercy. So I'm saying all this to categorize for you Galatians 3, right? And just to help you understand what's going on here. Where he says. In verse 17, we talked about it the other day, right? God made a covenant with the people of Israel, made a covenant with Moses, and the covenant was the law. But before Moses was Abraham, and God made a covenant with Abraham, and that covenant was to bless the whole earth. So which one is supposed to stand firm? The one that came before. The law was added. So he says, um, This I say that then, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. So the law cannot make the promise of no effect. The law cannot annul what came before the law. So he says, For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise. If you think you are going to receive righteousness by the law, then it's no longer by a promise. That means God is going against his will. But God gave it to Abraham as a promise. And what now, now, this is the question, a logical question. I want you to use your your, your brains. And I'm sorry I have a cold, but just please be with me. Um, and if you have any questions, just stop me. All right. The question I want to ask you is, Knowing already with all the things Paul has been saying, it seems like he's just beating down the law, right? It's like, first of all, you can't be saved by obeying the law. Forget it. Number two, the law just was added. It was not always the plan. God already had a plan with Abraham before the law came. The law came 430 years after. So in your mind, what do you think an average Jew would be asking Paul now? what is the point so what What's the point of the law why did it come in if, if there was already a promise and i cannot be made righteous by obeying the law i just need to believe god by faith in jesus christ why is the the law given so that's what paul is about to answer so he says what purpose then does the law serve he says it was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made oh beautiful so now, because of all things I've explained, I think this should make sense. What purpose then does the Lord serve? It says, number one, it was added. And I've, I don't know if I've mentioned this here before, but added is where we get the word addendum, the original word. Um, let, me, let me pull the Greek for you guys. Uh, Galatians chapter 3 from verse 19. It says it was added. The word added there is prostitemi. Promy like an annex to add to to um yes basically to add I mean so it's it's not there it's something that is added it's never it has never always been the plan is what is communicated there and why was he added because of transgression what does that mean see when you say because of transgression it is to avoid breaking the law, or to avoid doing, let me let me say the way we say it here in, in, in the Greek, it's parabasis, which means violation. So, it was added because of violation. It was added because of the sinfulness of people. In other words, to curb the sinfulness of people for a time. Let me give you a practical example. What do you do when you know on the highway most of you are in the US you know on the highway everybody there's no sign no 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 sign saying this is the speed limit so everybody's like ah, no speed limit if you're in Dallas <laughs> you will see people going 100 120 and they'll be cruising now what do you think you are supposed to do as somebody who wants to ensure that people live long you want to be sure that the the, the city of Dallas is sane That people are not having accidents and you're not overwhelming the police force or road safety. What do you do? You put signs. You put speed limits. Right? Now, can anyone go beyond the speed limit? Absolutely. But why is the speed limit there? Because of transgression. So when you go there and you drive and you pass the speed limit, a cop can say, Oh yeah, stop. Come out. Show me your driver's license. You know, and check if you are fit or unfit to drive. Because without a law, you may not be able to curb some practices. So that's the point of the law. He's saying God already had a plan to put the law of God, which is always has always been good, in the hearts of people. But till that time comes, till that time where the spirit is working in the in the heart of a human, I'm going to put an external law to curb. The effect of sin to curb the destruction that people bring upon themselves. So that's what the law was given for. It says it was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. Who is the seed? Jesus. Capital S. You see that? Then what does it say again? To whom the promise was made. Who was the promise made to? And this is where we had that conversation the other day. I'm I'm waiting. Hmm.
2: Abraham.
0: Okay. Abraham was the Abraham. one who received the promise. Who was the promise? No more. Who was the promise to Abraham? <laughs> I don't know. I don't Let me ask. hear you out.
1: Who was? The Holy Spirit?
0: Okay, who was hold the Holy on. Spirit? I'm going to put this up in the HCSBA for you. Read this and tell me what is going on. He says, "Why the Lord then?" It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. Answer the question. Who is the seed? And who is the to whom? See,
2: is I think it was Jesus too, him.
0: Okay, so this is, a, this is English class right now. It says until the seed. We already established that to be Jesus, right? To whom the promise was made would come,
2: and the seed to whom the promise was made, Jesus, so, whom the promise I, I, was wait, made yeah, I mean, no, wait,
0: hold on. on, I'm Jesus. listening. Who is who is speaking?
2: <laughs> so basically, I don't know. To try it. When I it, when I it, the text is until this day. So until Christ, to whom the promise was made, will come. So like Christ, Christ is coming to so people that the promise was made to. And I, I mean, from Good. here, it would be like the promise was made to Abraham. and to Abraham.
0: Good, exactly. In, in that so sense, the, so Jews. the promise was made to Abraham by extension to all the Jews. And who was the promise? Crisis. Christ was the promise. Crisis. Christ was also, if you look at verse 16, he says, Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as though referring to many, but unto your seed, referring to one who is Christ. So, spoke promises. So, Paul is saying two things. Paul is saying, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed, which is Christ. But then, we are looking at this place and he's saying, um, it was added because of transgression until the seed, which we already know is Christ, to whom the promise was made would come. So, in two, in two sides, we are seeing Jesus Christ being the promise, and we are seeing Jesus being the one to whom the promise was made. Does that make sense so far? Okay. Abraham. The promise came to Abraham and to his seed. And we just established the seed is who? Jesus. So the promise was given to who? And mm-hmm. his seed. Who is the seed? Jesus. So who was the promise given to? okay we're going going to see it's going to make sense so okay let me let me take you back a little bit which is why i want i don't want to rush this at all don't forget that paul is using a human argument in this whole device that he's doing so let's go back here the purpose was that the blessing of abraham would come to the gentiles in christ jesus so that we could receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So the purpose was that the blessing of Abraham, that's salvation, righteousness by faith, right, would come to the Gentiles, us, in Christ Jesus, so that we could receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Then look at what he says. I'm using a human illustration, no one sets aside even a human covenant. We talked about this last week, right? No one sets aside a human covenant that has been ratified or makes addition to it. He's saying if you have a covenant or an agreement, it takes a, it's very difficult to change that. If there's anything, and I use the example of divorce, right? If there is a divorce, there has to be a remarriage. You cannot just say I'm not, I've canceled the divorce. There has to be another contract that over overpowers the previous one, right? So, That is the point he's making. So he's saying, if God has already made a promise to Abraham, it will not change. That's why he says in the next verse, now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. But this is the confusing part. It would have made sense if Paul was just saying the promises were spoken to Abraham and his children, right? That would have been very easy to just flow with. Why is Paul having to say, he doesn't say to his seeds, but to his seed. That's the argument. That's the question. That's the big question mark. Why is Paul doing this? And I'm, and I'm giving you an answer that the reason he's doing this is because he's trying to validate two aspects of the work of Christ, that Jesus himself would be a receptor of a covenant, which I explained last week, right? Jesus is the one with whom God has a covenant, But God also has a covenant with Abraham. And that's why I was saying, no child of God should say, like you, the Gentile, should not ever utter the word, I have a covenant with God. And some people were like, why? And I'm I'm explaining that a believer who received salvation by faith is getting salvation through Christ. In other words, the promise is to Christ. The people in Christ are beneficiaries of that promise. So, let me let me put it this way. Who is... To, um, to your C, which of your parents are you in contract with or covenant with? Which of your parents? Which? Yes.
1: Which? What is, I don't
0: so, know. are you in... Okay, let me just... Use I don't answer. understand the question. Are, are you So, are you in a covenant with your parents? No. Why are you not? No.
1: Because I didn't have any covenant with them. Because I didn't have any covenant Exactly. So, you are the fruit of a
0: covenant. Oh, okay. Do you get it? Oh, so okay. you are the result of two people coming together and saying, we are doing this thing, we are having baby. Do you understand? So, that's the point I'm trying to explain. I'm trying to say that Paul is trying to explain that... The reason God's plan cannot fail. So in normal life, there's something called divorce, meaning a covenant can break, right? And it happens every time where people say, I love you, but then some things happen in life and they separate, right? God is trying to prove that, hey, I'm not like that. And that's like the whole point of the gospel. The gospel is, hey, I want to prove beyond reasonable doubt that I'm going to stay and stick with you forever. Now, how can he do that? First of all, if God is making a covenant with a man, that man has to be proven and tested because men can fail, right? So God makes a covenant with Abraham and Abraham believes him. He says, wow, and then what does God do? He makes him righteous by faith. He accepts him, he makes him right. But God still needs to, bring to fruition his plan, his ultimate plan to save. And Abraham is not enough for that because God is going to save man from sin by taking their place. I don't think Abraham would have done that. All right. And I want you to just follow my line of thinking. There's a lot I'm saying here. This is like many years of theology. Just I'm trying to pack it in a simple to understand form. Jesus has to come and say, I am here to do your will, O God. I am in a contract or a covenant. That's the, that's the logical term. So God has a covenant with Jesus, with Christ. All right. Jesus Christ fulfills his side of the covenant. God fulfills his own side. And because of the fulfillment of both sides, everything God planned comes to pass. And what is God's plan? That all the nations will be blessed. That salvation will come to the world, right? And so, what we are when we believe in Jesus is we are the fruit of that covenant God had with Christ. Are you following? So, because you believe in Jesus, you are a beneficiary of everything Jesus gets from that covenant, the result of that covenant. That's why I can say, that's why you can say I am God's covenant man in Christ. You can say, um, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. How do we get the blessing? In Christ. Outside of Christ, you don't have any blessing. Why does Peter say you are chosen, your chosen generation, a real priesthood, a holy nation? He calls you that because you are in Christ. So the good thing about this, if God was in covenant with us, guess what would have happened? Would have broken it in fact let me show you from the scriptures ah dear lord jesus where's that scripture where he it it said i said i gave them a covenant and they break they broke it it's not psalm 78 i hope you are learning something there's so much i i <laughs> i'm going on but i hope you are getting the concept of god fulfilling is there something in the chat
2: okay okay so notice
0: god gave a covenant to the people of israel what do we know they did they broke it now right now what did god give abraham a promise so a promise is different from a covenant right who can tell me the difference between a promise and a covenant um um, okay, okay ask, I'm, I'm asking the question, May I ask you,
1: know a question. Part, um, you know that part um, that I can't remember God the particular chapter that God told yeah. Abraham to get then animals then God passed through it then, then God, it. That then that God I, think, I think, was that was that a covenant that between
0: God and you, Abraham? Go to that verse and look at what it says there in, in, it from, is it in what? Was
1: it from promise?
0: That's that. I'm asking was it you. Promising? So good there. So when good, good. Thank you. Praise. When you say a promise, if I say, to I promise you, I'm paying for your full tuition," is a promise. Yes. Sir. You don't have to do anything. Okay. Do you get it? It's one sided. Okay. It's me making a promise to you. When I make a covenant, mm. it means two of us must work together. Right. You have your side to do. I have my side to do. If you have a... So a simpler analogy for a covenant is a contract. A contract is me. Okay, I'm supplying ABC food. Your own side of the contract is to sign and pay me. If you don't pay me, I don't have any legal rights to supply you food. Does that make sense? That's a contract. And that is a covenant. So when God gives you a covenant, and you say yes, I will do it. If you break your own side of the covenant, then you get the 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 problems that come with that 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 you know contract, all the downsides, all the legal um you know results of that. So do you get the difference between a promise and a contract or a covenant?
1: Yes. Both are binding. One is not.
0: By one is dependent on. But one is, By exactly. one is dependent one on is dependent on, be, on one party. That's the promise. Okay. But the other one is dependent on two parties. Okay. So what was God doing, Abraham? I, I don't know because a promise, right? I, I don't Are we know not know reading Galatians together? You no, know, yes. But I
1: was asking
0: like. You no, yes. I but I was asking
1: like. You said I should go back. No, to No, no. I
0: said go to where you found the. It, it's Genesis. Yeah, uh, yeah. So go ahead. It's Adam, Genesis
2: under
1: um, the, yes. the Lord made a covenant to Abraham and said you I give this land from you and if a covenant is literally yeah. a contract between two parties then so what's that side of the contract? is, a, is it just, what you just read is
0: a covenant is a is like a contract binding on the two of them so god is saying you will do something and Abraham had to do it okay. You keep reading now. So, God gives him instructions on what he's supposed to do. He says, this is the land you have, blah, blah, blah. Just walk before me and be that perfect, right? This not Genesis 15. Why are you reading? Just let me, let's verify. I give Genesis
1: 15, verse 18. What did he say in
0: verse 1?
1: After this the blocking Do be afraid, Abraham. I okay, am um, you your shield. You're very We see
0: in verse. What did God now do there? At, as at I want you to see the, the difference. Here he's saying all these things, and he says, you know, Abraham, the Lord, seeing that I will go childless. There's so much to teach on. The time is short, but let's let's actually. I want to break this thing down. So let me put it on the screen for you guys to see. But it's good that you under... See, these are the kind of questions you should be asking when you read. What's the difference between a covenant? What's the difference between a covenant and a promise? Who received a promise? Um, How does that relate to me? Because if you get these things, it changes everything, right? So Victoria, I'm seeing your hand up, but I want to go through this. Go ahead, let me hear you.
2: Yeah, sorry, I just wanted to like mentioned that is it not like the covenant between both of them isn't not the circumstance yeah. covenant that because like mm-hmm. when you put it out verse one when I read it in the amplified your reward the reward for yeah. your obedience would be very great. So kind of like what you're saying. There is actually something so God is going to establish his his, his promise to Abraham. Yeah.
0: But then Abraham right. has to do something and, that's and so Notice that, in fact, ah, man, there's so much to talk about. Remember when we were in Romans and we are talking about circumcision? There was an argument, right, Yeah. about Abraham. When did Abraham receive the promise? Was it before or after his circumcision? Before. before. So you see that he's still before. making the same point. Before. When God gave a promise, it was not binding on Abraham. God was going to do it regardless. It's a promise. When it came to contract or covenant now you have to do your own side if you don't do it you don't get the benefits but it is a different subject entirely are we are we following so I'm going to bless you I'm going to do this and give yeah. this nation to you that's wealth and dominance in this particular realm all you have to do is circumcise so Abraham does it and he gets the blessing contract complete promise Wow, you believed me. You are going to be blessed. All the nations will be blessed through you. You'll be called the father of faith. That's a promise. God is going to do it regardless of Abraham's perfection or not. Does that make sense? Beautiful. So what did the Christian receive? A promise. How do we get the promise? The promise of the spirit. How do we get it? By faith. Simple. Is this making sense? I just really want to simplify it, you know, as best as possible. So Genesis 15 you know, before we even see the Old Covenant part come to play, verse 6, the verse that everybody is always quoting, Abraham believed the Lord and it what was credited to him as righteousness. This happened before everything else. Because if you keep reading, that's where you now see, you know, where he said, Lord, how do I know that I'll possess this land? Then he says, okay, bring bring this animal, bring this animal. You know, he sacrifices all that and then... You see how there's now, like, a covenant with God and Abraham. But that's different. That's different from the promise and the what, what um, Paul was teaching us in Galatians. All right? Here, he's saying the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. What was, the, what was the covenant? I will give this land to your offspring. This is not talking about Jesus. All right? So, let's now come to Galatians. Um, oh, someone's asking... Yeah,
2: okay. Okay.
0: Rich. I like how we are jumping everywhere. So Hebrews seven. Uh let me see. I'm gonna have to search for it if you guys don't mind. But it's in Hebrews, um where it says, I have come to do okay, good. So let's start here. What is the covenant God is going to make with the people? Let's start from here. So go to Hebrews chapter 8. Um, okay, we'll stop here. And I, I really wanted us to move forward. But I hope you guys are getting value. Even though we are saying Galatians, I will jump into every, every book of the Bible. But it helps. Once you, if you can pick something you've learned from each session, that's success for me, right? So uh, Hebrews 8.5, I'm going to read this and just explain if I need to. These serve as a copy. What is he talking about? He was talking about like high priest and all of those practices that they did. These serve as a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. Um, as Moses was warned when he was about to complete the tabernacle, for he said, Be careful that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. But Jesus is comparing the law. And the print the, the practices of the law with Jesus, it says, Jesus has obtained a more superior ministry, and to that degree, he is the mediator of a better covenant. So, notice there's a covenant, and Jesus is acting as the mediator. What is a mediator? Simple symbols. What when they say someone is a mediator, what does that mean? Uh, someone that stands in between, right? If, if, when the Bible says um he is the mediator between god and um we, for we have one mediator between god and man the man christ jesus first john right talks about a, a mediator all right which has been illegally enacted on better promises you are seeing the word contract covenant and you are seeing the word promises there's a whole lot going on here um so what said How did moses remember everything god told he wrote it down now god instructed him to write everything down all right verse 7 Now, this is why I don't want you to miss me. This is very important. For if that first covenant had been faultless, no opportunity would have been sought for a second one. Who can tell me what covenant is being mentioned here? The law, exactly. The law, the practices of the law. If it was faultless, there wouldn't be need for another one, right? But there was a need for a second one. So it says, why was there a need for a second one? Something happened with the Jews. God gave them a covenant that they could not fulfill. And this is Darius' question I'm answering. I'm just sequentially building the case. So he says, for finding fault with his people, who are his people? The Jews. God found fault with them. He he told them, I have a covenant for you to keep. And the, the the, the covenant was binded by the law. It was the law... I will give you this. This is the land I will give to you. You must fulfill all the things that the law says. All you have to do is oh, oh, do everything the law says. And he said, We will do it. That's a contract. Sign here, sign here, sign here. Abby? So God had a covenant with the Jews. And he says, But I found fault with them. For, but finding fault with his people, he says, Look, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant. So you people are making, making a mess of everything, but I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel, and with the house of Judah. So there's going to be a new covenant that would replace that one. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers. On the day I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. Because they did not what? Continue in my covenant. I disregarded them, says the Lord. And he now tells us. This is the one that you guys know, right? Right. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. And each person will not teach his fellow citizen, you know, and each his brother know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their wrongdoings and I will never again remember their sins. Notice, he says, by saying a new covenant... He has declared that the first is old, and what is old and aging is about to disappear. And so he starts comparing. So we are getting there. He's comparing the first covenant. I'm going to skip all this. (coughs) Talking about what was in the first covenant and how it was replaced. I'm going there now. Coming, 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 coming. The Holy Spirit was making it clear that the way into the Holy of Holies (coughs) has not yet been disclosed while the first tabernacle is still standing. And then he talks about their fiscal regulations. Now, this is where we get to. He now says, but the Messiah has appeared. So notice he has been building his case. All these things was were going on. But now the Messiah has appeared. Who is the Messiah? Number one, he's called the high priest. What is the high priest supposed to be? Mediate, right? That's the idea. The same phrase, mediator. But he's not only the high priest. What else is he in the book of Hebrews? What is is the ministry of Jesus in the book of Hebrews? What is it described as? He's a high priest, meaning standing in between God and sinful people. Right? What else is he? The Lamb, the the sacrifice. Mm -hmm. All right. So, in other words, he is typified as the Receiver of a covenant that, okay, how can I explain this? People had a covenant, they failed at it. For everything to be right, God is still a covenant God. So when you say covenant, keeping God, that's a very theological sound, theologically sound song. You just have to understand what you are singing. It's a heavy statement. God is a covenant keeper. So God is now going to have a new covenant with his people. But how is he going to do that when people are failing in the first covenant? God is going to reenact a new one. We just read that earlier, right? So there's going to be a mediator, but there's also going to be someone who is the recipient. So let's follow that. It says, "...in the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that that is not of this creation." He entered into the holies of holies, not by the blood of goats and calves. So he's going as a priest. But he also went in with something else, his own blood. So he's also the the mediator and the sacrifice, having obtained eternal redemption. And then he goes on and goes on and goes on. Now I'm getting to the point where the, uh, the question will be answered. He says, how much more... The bl- with the blood of the Messiah who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God cleanse our consciences from dead works to serve the living God therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance because a death has taken place for redemption from the transgressions committed under the first covenant now Pay attention. Where a will exists, what is a will? A contract. But speaking to us, when somebody, um, when I say, oh, does your dad have a will? What am I saying? It's a contract, but it's a contract based on what? His death. He dies, and when he dies, that contract is taken into effect. All right? So a will is something he has as a contract. And it is binding, it is signed with the judiciary and this person. And it is supposed to be enacted when? At his death. So I have a contract with the legal system. Fulfill this thing when I have died. So you are seeing the second layer of, of a contract now. In one case, he is the mediator of a covenant. In another case, he, is the, he has a will based on a contract or a covenant he has with the the, the legal system. Because they have to keep it. You have signed that this must be done regardless of me. Like, it must happen when I'm dead. All right? So he says, where a will exists, the death of the testator must be established. That's what I just explained. The will is not useful until the death of the testator, the person who is, you know, signing that covenant or contract. For the will is only valid when people die, since it is never enforced when the testator is living. And by the way, when we get to Hebrews, I'll break this thing down a lot more. This is why even the first covenant was inaugurated with blood. Which blood? Eh? Which blood? Good, good. I thought someone would say blood of circumcision. But... There was also blood there, by the way, and there's a, there's a reason for that. But verse 19, when every commandment had been proclaimed by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats uh-huh, along with water, scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled the scroll with all the people. This is a lot of beautiful stuff. I wish I had time. He says, this is the blood of the covenant. Notice the blood of what? The covenant that God has commanded for you. In the same way, he sprinkled the tabernacle and vessels of worship, blah, blah, blah. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness, which is very important as well. And then, let me skip because there's a lot to say here. For the Messiah did not enter a sanctuary made with hands. He went to heaven himself. Um, okay, good, good, good. Where is this thing where he said, I have not... Uh, yes, okay, good, 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 good. Okay, pay attention. It says, this is chapter 3, chapter 10 from verse 3. Hope you are learning something, guys. I'm sorry I, I took this detour. Um, but in the sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. That's It's talking about sacrifices they performed under the law. There was remembrance of sins every single year. It says, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, therefore, As he was coming into the world, he said, so notice what he's saying. He's quoting David, but this is what Jesus himself said. He says, you did not want sacrifice and offerings, but you prepared a body for me. Now, verse 7, this is the part where you see that whole covenant thing. God gave a covenant to the people of Israel. He said, do it. If you do this, it will be well with you. If you do this, it will be well with you. God had a contract with them or a covenant with them. When he came to Jesus, same thing. God gives him what he's supposed to do and he has to fulfill it. What does he say? He says, it is written about me in the volume of the books to do your will, O God. This translation doesn't help us see it the way it's supposed to be. All right, so let me put these three together. So he says, Lo, I have come in the volume of the books, it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. What is the will of God? The salvation of man. So someone has to ratify that. And that's him, that's his side of the the covenant. All right. Above, when he said, sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and offering for sin, that would not have pleasure in. He says, lo, I have come to do that will, O God. Then he says this, he taketh away the first, so he might establish the second. Who can tell me what that means? And then we'll just round off here. What what is he taking away to establish the second? Exactly. He's taking the first first one that has failed to replace it with the second. Who is ratifying the second? Jesus And... The father Jesus, the Father is giving him a will to do, he's doing the will and, and he's successful at it. And so, everything after that, we get the benefit of that that arrangement. So, that's that's how the Bible speaks of him as a covenant, as a, the covenant. That's why the um, I don't know if you've read, read the book Jesus, God's Covenant Man, it's actually a, a book that explains this whole. I just explained now, so you may not see it as a word for word like G- and Jesus became the covenants, you know, or you know, it wouldn't see that way, but you see it as a theological conclusion based on several scriptures. This is just one amongst others. So when I say okay, so praise, I like the way you're thinking, and and Hebrews even further emphasizes this thing you said, Hebrews 6 specifically. So, what priest is saying is, so can I say that the first covenant was made between God and man while the second was made between God and himself in 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 bracket Jesus, yes and no, but you are absolutely on point um yes, because yes, God is doing it with the only person who can hundred percent fulfill his plan without fail, if God is going to give someone to do his task." <laughs> He will not give someone who can fail because he knows he, he wants it to come to pass, right? And so it makes sense to do with the second person of the Godhead, the one who is also divine. So that's where I would say 100%. Knowing the sense that God is not co- having covenant with himself, you know, it is with Jesus. The distinction is clear in scripture, right? But you get the point. Like, I'm sure maybe when we do a teaching on, on the Trinity, I think there's just a better way of understanding these things. That helps us, but you're 100 on track with that statement. So instead of saying
2: that, instead of saying that God had the covenant with Israel, is he? More accurate to say, He had. So, cause for more praise, praise was You're very
0: low. Your voice is really low.
2: Okay. Uh
0: huh. Yeah, it's better okay. now.
2: Sorry, can you hear me now? So, I was saying that, okay. like so, that, say that I can see like a contrast, like mm-hmm. God and the fallen man, right, which is like the children of Israel, the Jews that broke his covenant, and then God and the second so, Adam. So,
0: exactly. Okay, good. So, you see, this is, that's why I said Hebrews is one. Mm-hmm. If I was going to build this case again with another text, I will go to 1 Corinthians. I will go to Romans 5 so that you get it. The first man, the only difference is that with the first man, it's not like God had a covenant per se, Um, but it would be a good um, way of explaining it. Everyone fell in Adam, but in Christ, everyone is made alive, right? Romans 5. So you can use that same analogy that, oh, Jesus represents the new kind of man that God is going to have a covenant with. But he's not having covenant with everyone. He's having covenant with the one single new man. And anyone who puts their faith in him becomes a beneficiary of that, of the fruit of that covenant. Does that make sense? So by faith in his name, you become a partaker of the blessings, which is why it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus who has blessed us. How we be blessed? In Christ. We are blessed in Christ, not outside of Christ. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? That's the doctrine of baptism. What what I just explained is baptism. Jesus did the work. You are getting the benefits of the work he did. Jesus was raised to sit together with Christ in heavenly places. You were not. But because you are in Christ, guess what the Bible says about you? You are seated with Christ in heavenly places. You get So you benefit from what Jesus did by baptism. Baptism is not necessarily like water. Water baptism. It's talking about the fact that you're immersed in Christ. Being immersed with Christ means you get the benefits of everything Christ has. The inheritance he has, you have. That's why you're called a what? Joint air. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So this, yeah. this is, um man, there's a lot of thoughts in just, I've thought so many things. And we did not finish. I'm sorry, uh, um, Victoria. I'm so sorry that we did not enter Galatians chapter 4. If you guys are down, we'll do it, but we, we have to stick to time. We're already out of time. But if you feel like, okay, we, should, we can still finish Galatians 3 today, I don't mind. <sighs> because at the end of the day, it's just this this small group, but it's late in Nigeria right now. so. And I hope you know that what we are doing is not even the right way to study the Bible. Ideally, you don't spend one hour and say, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) That's not how Bible study works. Bible study is work. It is diligence. It is time. It is... That's why I've been saying that we're going to have a marathon, Bible study marathon. So it's going to be a particular month. Um, I'm not sure, but it will be in the summer. And we'll just go... Like for hours, we'll just pick a subject and just go for hours, and answer all the questions on it. Please, I'm seeing your hand up. Yes, um, I have a question. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes, um, I have it's a question. Not really it's not. It's not really about um when we read these holies of holies. What's the holies of holies?
0: Okay. I we stay entering there? So, <clears throat> the best way to answer that question is to go to the law the time of Moses and understand how the Holy of Holies worked. So um, everything starts with the tabernacle. Have you heard that word? The tabernacle was the place of worship. When the people of Israel left Egypt, God said to Moses, this is how you will build the tabernacle. Now the tabernacle is different from the temple in Jerusalem. That was the final destination for the, the, the place of worship. But all through the time these people were in the wilderness with Moses, they had to move from place to place, right? So God gave instructions to Moses on how to build a place of worship that they will be able to move from place to place whenever they move, which is where we get the idea of mobile temples and we've been called the house of God. We are the temple of God. Um, it is based on that principle in the Old Testament that we have that as New Testament believers. But back to the story. When God gave Moses the instructions, read Exodus um 14. No, Exodus 20 something, 23, or th- there, there are the instructions to God gave to Moses on how he was supposed to build the tabernacle, the place of worship. So there are three aspects. I have the video. If I still have it. Yes. Ah, you guys are lucky. I have the video. So let me show you. Can you guys see my screen? Yes. Okay. So I'm going to share. Yes. This with you. All right. Watch this. So. What you're seeing right now is the tabernacle of Moses. What it looked like. I'm going to comment on it. You can see that everything outside here is where they were living. But there was a place demarcated for worship. All right. Sorry, just confirm that you can hear and see. I can hear okay, yes, great, great. I can hear so now you go in yes, here. I see. Right Now, what is this outside here? This is where the sensor this is where offerings happen this thing out here is where the offerings. Take. it's not inside this is the outer court now there are many of these outside so different priests people will bring their ram their goats their bulls they will look at it they will inspect it right the the person the priest will inspect it then they will check for inconsistencies if there was any spot blemish they'll tell them to go and get another one if, they, if it was good to go then they'll offer it here. They had like a burning, basically like, think of barbecue. Basically that's what this was. So (laughs) just that it was spiritual, that's spiritual implications. Now, this is the basin where the priest will wash his uh, his hands um, for cleansing, ritual cleansing. Um, And then they'll wash their feet too, but they'll use water for that one. So this is outside, this is the outside inside they were told to use uh, blue and scarlet yarn to to make the um, the God God told him exactly what to use so that's what you are seeing, this is like the reproduction of what the outer gate looks like okay let me use this one so now we are going through the outer gate and what you are seeing right now is, you can see there are basins there this is the altar this thing you're looking at we don't with these four corners um, where they would sprinkle blood this is the ram that they will bring for offering the sacrifice right these are the basins all right you guys are getting bonus class today i like it <laughs> now so they, the the priest will put blood on the on the side Then this is the outer courtyard. So we are still in the outer courtyard. We've not entered the the holy place, the place where the the high priest is supposed to go. This is the lava, like I said. There's oil, there's water. They wash their hands for cleansing, ritual cleansing. This is the similitude of baptism, by the way, that Hebrews 6 talks about. Let's move away from ritual washings, all those things right then now you walk into the where you're walking now is the we just left the outer courtroom we're entering the inner court this is the holy place this is just the holy place what is in the holy place you have the um the lampstands with seven candles seven lights you have the bread um you know aaron's okay we have not even gotten to the holy place yet the holiest of holies. So this is the, the lampstand um, that have to always be lit. This is the table of showbread, where they have to, there was always bread there, which, when you look in the New Testament, represents the body of Jesus, all right? So everything was very de- deliberate. Um, and God gave him all these instructions so that the Jews could see that Christ was always the plan, but they, they, they didn't get it. So there's the out of, of incense they'll put frankincense they'll put um some different spices so the, the aroma of that place was always very very amazing um and then they'll put that's what you're seeing there my video has died but you can hear my voice so it keeps burning the, you know when it says um, the fire shall keep burning the fire should never go out that's both the incense and the lampstands all right and then the The fire and the altar outside. It was never go out. That was the instruction. Now you enter. Where we are entering now is what we call the Holy of Holies. So what is in the Holy of Holies? The Ark of the Covenant. That's this thing you are seeing here. With the cherubim facing each other. With their wings. Right? And this is the Ark of the Covenant. By the way, only one person is allowed to go in here. Nobody else can enter this place. It is... You You enter there, you do one wrong thing, you are dead. Like, you God strikes you dead. And um, you've probably heard the story that the high priest of that year, they will tie, um, you know, rope around him with bells so that if he does something wrong inside the Holy of Holies and they don't see him after a period of time, they know he's dead, so they drag his body out. And you know, it's just a straight road. You just drag him, they'll bring him out. So... What is in the Ark of the Covenant? You have the law of Moses, the two tablets. These are not the original first tablets. You know, um, Moses broke the, the tablets initially, right? He broke his iPad and his um, Samsung tablets. <laughs> and God gave him another one, um, <laughs> you know, by the mercy of God. What is this thing here? Who can tell me what this, this rod is? Yes, Aaron's rod that Aaron. budded. If you read the story, there was a um time that they were to test, you know, God the Aaron was trying to um that's a long story to go there. Let me just continue. But basically, um the rod that was already dead budded with 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 um plants and it was added to the to the ark of the covenant, right? So those are things inside. there. there's also um What is the third thing that is inside? I'll have to remember. I'm not sure. And then this is what the high priest would do. The blood, after they've done all the offerings outside, the blood still needs to also come into the, the holy place. So, the holies of holies, rather. So, that's what Jesus did in the heavenly temple of God, in the heavenly tabernacle. Everything here was just a picture and a type and a shadow of what God, you know, in Christ was doing. But the fulfillment came when Christ actually went in as the high priest to the Holy of Holies and also sacrificed himself. So his body, his blood was what was offered, which, is, which makes sense that it is in the spirit realm because how would he be alive to offer his own blood, right? So it's a spiritual, everything pointed to the spiritual um, plan of God. By the way, what happened as well in um, what happened as well was that the holy of holies in the time of the New Testament when Jesus was being crucified, the temple was there, right? The temple in Jerusalem. All these things that you just saw now in that video, right? This was just the temporary tabernacle. Temporary. They will pack it up and move to a new location and set it up again. Right, and only the Levites could carry the Ark of the Covenant anytime they moved. But when um, Solomon finally built a temple for, for God, what happened was that the tabernacle was now permanent, it now became the temple in Jerusalem. And that was what happened that when Jesus was being crucified and he was about to, you know, give up his, his, his ghost, um, the Bible says that the temple curtain was torn in two. So what you saw here, what you saw here, uh, the entrance, this light curtain that you saw here, was replaced. This one outside, let me show you. This one that separates the out the holy place from the holy of holies. This this thing here. What happened was that they had they built a strong curtain that was thick, thicker than like like ah, very thick.
2: Yeah. I, heard that that I, heard, I heard that I heard that, that curtain, if four animals, like if they tied it at the mm-hmm. four animals' the edges, like horses, and the animals were to like run, run apart in the opposite directions. Direction. It. Exactly. Direction, it was very it firm and strong. But guess
0: what happened when Jesus was crucified? The Bible says that the temple, the curtain was torn into from where? Top to bottom. You need to understand the significance of that. Because when you say something was torn from top to bottom, it had to only be God. (laughs) Because bottom to top, oh, someone can be undone, you know, you tear it. You know, when you want to tear clothes from the bottom, you rip it. But the the fact that the temple was high and it's torn from top to bottom signifying two things. Number one, the demarcation between the holy place and the holy of holies has been broken by the work of Christ. So any, everyone now has access to the holy place, which is um, Hebrews, what the Bible says, that we can approach the throne of God, you know. In other words, you can come to the holy, holy place, right? The second conclusion you can make is that the law is done with. Like, the fact that something so sacred has been torn like that is God's way of just dabbing and saying, we're done with this testament. Christ is the fulfillment of the law, right? So, hope that hope that makes sense and that helps
2: yes thank
0: you P. you are yes. welcome. <clears throat> thank
2: welcome. you P.
0: yeah any other question i feel like we should just be doing question and answers on what dinner some days we should just have one day dedicated to that but at the end of the day some of the questions come as a result of what we studied so maybe that's not a good idea okay um i think i'm good um i don't know if there's any other question let me turn on my video just Uh I don't know what's showing yeah all right thank you guys for for tuning in that was an awesome meal. thank you for joining us as we studied the word of god if you like to join the actual word dinner sessions live on fridays you can visit the link bmg.disha. page. it's always on fridays 9 pm west african time Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at bmg.global and see you when next it's dinner time.